Welcome to the Evan Roberts Podcast, the Bubble Brooklyn Nets edition. I am joined by the producer of the Zach Gelb Show on the CBS Sports Network, formerly the producer of Moose and Taz on the CBS Sports Network. And that, of course, is Michael Biseglia. And, Mike, i got to start by asking you, why were we so negative when we did our <laughs> original Brooklyn Nets bubble podcast? Why did we think 0-8? Why did we think they were so crappy? Why did, Why were we so negative, bro? Uh, you have to, you're ex- exactly right. I mean, clearly we have no idea how to observe and understand talent. Uh, it's pretty <laughs> obvious that you just take Joe Harris and you put him – uh, in a bubble, and he becomes one of the best players in the NBA. Besides, he's averaging like six and a half more points per game in the bubble. Jared Allen's looking like an adult. Uh, it's been fantastic. And then this Karis LeVert guy is playing like an all-star. It's been awesome. So, so here's the thing about it. If we were playing a game of FanDuel, if we were playing the stats game, none of that really surprises me. And I don't think it would have surprised us because obviously – with less options, with not having Spencer Dinwiddie dominate the basketball a lot. And I'm not saying that in a negative way about Spencer. Obviously, your stats are coming from somewhere. So the idea that Karis LeVert is going to average 27 a game or Joe Harris's averages are way up or Jared Allen's stats are way up, that, that really wouldn't be the surprise, but it's working. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like the thing about Jared Allen, and we'll start with him. And there's a lot to discuss on this Brooklyn Bubble Nets podcast. <laughs> but Jared Allen's role has increased. He's gotten the basketball in his hands a hell of a lot more. He's gotten the ball in the high post a lot more. He's found the open guy a lot more. That's why his assist numbers are through the roof. So I know defensively he can still drive you nuts. There are moments in which you see this great progress as a rim protector from Jared, but then there are other times where he'll just make you rip your hair out. But how about that aspect of Jared? Jared Allen, the playmaker, Basegli. I know. It's been awesome to watch. You've seen the stats sheet uh, stuffed with the assists. I mean, is it as simple as saying that maybe the new head coach of the Brooklyn Nets, Jacques Vaughn, is putting him in better positions to succeed, and that's helped Jared Allen be more competent in the bubble? be more competent in the bubble and do a better job of distributing the ball, finishing around the rim. He's had some exciting dunks as well with those one-hand slams. I mean, could Jacques Vaughn just be doing a good job in knowing his personnel, knowing his center, and putting him in places to succeed that works with the talent around him? Well, you know, it's funny. Like, we don't know what Kenny would have done in this situation. If you put Kenny Atkinson in the bubble and you take away Spencer Dinwiddie and you take away Kyrie Irving and you take away... I mean, the, the list is endless. I don't know what the results would have been, but I'll tell you a few things that I know wouldn't have happened. I'm not a believer that we have to just kill the mid-range jump shot completely off the face of the earth. Maybe mm. we should limit it, and the league certainly has, but it can still be a weapon. And I've seen the Nets take more mid-range jump shots over the course of the first six games inside the bubble than I think they may have taken during the entire Kenny Atkinson era. So (laughs) we have seen that change so far, and I don't think that's a bad thing because the mid-range, whether it's from a guy like Zach Levine or certainly Chris Paul, it can still be a great weapon. And it's not as if they're not shooting threes. I mean, they still right. made 23-point shots yesterday. <laughs> right. So it's not as if they abandoned it and they're going back to, like, you know, 2004 NBA basketball. No, they're still taking the threes. They're just changing the dynamic of the way they play offense. And it's it's been cool to watch. It's been cool to see them succeed. And it's just it just kind of makes you laugh a little bit because they're beating really good NBA teams. They're beating the Bucks. They're beating the Clippers. And, you know, they, they went out to a 21-point lead against L.A. And then you see what happens when the Clippers come back. Kawhi Leonard goes on this, like, magical streak to begin the third quarter. What was it, the first 11 points? And, yep. and then you go, okay. Here it was. That was cute. That was nice. But here come the Clippers. And then, no, Nets just turned it up. And, it, you know, they got they got uh, a lot of great efforts uh, from guys that weren't Karis LeVert and Joe Harris in the second half. And they were able to pull it out and get the win down the stretch. It was remarkable. Well, let's let's make love to Joe Harris for a second. You know, <laughs> obviously not not literally, but, you know, in we many ways. We can go ways. literal. <laughs> Look, Whatever, we man. get. 
We get that Joe Harris is a tremendous three-point shooter. All right, that's yeah. obvious. And in the victory against Washington, in the victory against Sacramento, and in the victory against the LA Clippers, he shot the three at a rate that's just not human. Um, mm-hmm. He made 16 threes in those three games <laughs> on 21 shots. I mean, that's just, it's not a human thing. But here's the thing about Joe Harris, and we've known this, and I think anybody listening to this podcast knows this because I assume it's mm-hmm. only diehard Ned fans. Joe Harris is not a one-trick pony. No. Joe Harris finishes around the basket as good as almost anybody. And I think what we've seen in this bubble in the... Right now, we are recording this before the meaningless games against the Magic and Trailblazers. So you can listen to it after the Magic and Trailblazers game. It doesn't matter. Um, but in those four victories... He's played at a level where it's not just hitting the three. It's not just finishing at the rim. He's done everything. He has Mm -hmm. developed in a way that none of us could have seen coming. He developed himself first into an NBA player. And then, hey, he's a lethal shooter from the outside. And now the guy does everything. It's incredible what he's become. Yeah, it's fun to watch. And I know this is like kind of a stretch. But I truly feel like like with the long hair and the headband, there's like a little bit of a, a swag with Joe Harris now. Like he, uh, he, he but, uh, but on a serious note, he just oozes off of confidence right now. The way he's on the court, the way he's playing. I, he had one three-pointer where he took a step back and went behind the yes. line and shot yes. the three. I was yes. like, Joe, what the hell was that? That was tremendous. So I, I think there's a real confidence with Joe right now. And, uh, you know, I, I don't expect him to have games where he's starting everything five for five for three or whatever the hell he finished with uh, in that game that was just tremendous. But you do get this sense of a um, uh, a team that's really believing in themselves. And it'll be interesting to see when they go up against Toronto. You know, that'll be a real test because Toronto's played well in this bubble. And also because the Raptors are just a team that, even though nobody talks about him with Kawhi gone and Nick Nurse has done such a great job there, I'll be curious to see what they do against a team like Toronto, which is really a su- superior basketball team in playoff games when they count. Yeah. Well, right now, I don't know if anybody's superior to the Brooklyn Nets. I mean, geez. <laughs> <laughs> you know how many teams, and I understand it's in the bubble, there's really no home and road team, but technically that Clipper and Buck games were both on the road. Which Tremendous. means the Brooklyn Nets have road victories against the Clippers, Lakers, and Bucks. I'm just giving you the facts. I mean, those, All, those are road victories against three, arguably the best teams in the NBA. All with Jacques. All with Jacques Vaughn as the head coach. So you have to give him credit. He's the one that he's the one that pulled these off. It's it's incredible. Now let's, in all seriousness, the Orlando game, which opened up the bubble, was a disaster. It was basically what I think we Ugh. feared and what we expected. <laughs> right. Uh, the Washington game, it really wasn't much better. I mean, Thomas Bryant looked like a superstar, and mm-hmm. they struggled to beat a team that is probably worse off or was definitely worse off than the Nets yeah. going into the bubble. So you look at the first two games, and you say to yourself, yeah, this is what we expected. They're 1-1, one and one, but really there's nothing that surprising about it. It seemed like they were destined for the eight seed. They were going to avoid any kind of play-in game because we knew going in the Washington Wizards were pathetic, and that's, that's turned out to be true. They haven't won a game. The Buck game. I mean, let's, this is where everything really started to change. When they made the announcement that nobody was going to play, Joe Harris isn't going to play, Karis LeVert isn't going to play, Jared Allen isn't going to play. <laughs> yeah. What did you think? Did you think they were going to lose by 50? Because that's what Vegas and basically everybody on Twitter my, thought. My thought was, I'm going to play a lot of these Nets in FanDuel because they're going to be at such a value piece. The Tyler Johnsons of the world. Guys, look at Chris Chioza. I'm, I'm going to find these guys to play in FanDuel because they're going to lose by 100, but they're going to get quality minutes, and that means that there's some value play in a FanDuel game. That was the most stunning score I think I've ever seen with the Nets. And I and I know that Giannis and Middleton didn't play in the second half, but they, it was the same thing. It was like Milwaukee came back, and then the Nets had their push again, which is, is just so weird to see them do that against elite teams. But I guess that's part of the bubble chaos and the and what makes it intriguing. But man, that was that was stunning. I mean, they that they were nineteen point underdogs and they yeah. were up. I mean, it was crazy. Well, okay, so we all understand 
that Mike Budenhoser made the decision not to play Giannis and not play Chris Middleton in the second half, and Brooke Lopez didn't play at all. So I think we would both admit, in all seriousness, jokes aside, if Giannis plays the second half, if Chris Middleton plays the second half, it's likely the Milwaukee Bucks win this game. Okay, we got, we got that out on the table. True. With that said, okay, with that said, first of all, the second unit of a team that could win an NBA championship like the Milwaukee Bucks is still far superior than what is essentially the Brooklyn Nets' third unit. Because, again, <laughs> yeah. there's no Levert, there's no Harris, there's no Allen. We already know about the guys that didn't go to the bubble. You're relying on Chris Chioza and Tyler Johnson and Jeremiah Martin and Justin Anderson. I mean, Dante Hall. I mean, so... <laughs> Even with Giannis and Middleton not playing, it's still a massive upset. I I was saying this on the air. Let's say you knew Giannis and Middleton weren't going to play at all. And, of course, they did play. They played the first half. This is still a significant Mm -hmm. point spread. They are still a significant underdog. not saying it's 19 points, but I don't know. It's still 10. It's still 11. It's still that big of of an underdog and of an upset. So... That's why, A, yeah, I acknowledge Giannis didn't play the second half. It was still a great upset. And then, first of all, they beat the crap out of Giannis and Chris Middleton in the first half. Dante Hall's throwing him down. Giannis is all pissed off about it. And this, again, is with nobody. So, Shaq I didn't need made a- these. Say that one more time. Shaq made these comments, Evan, like before the NBA bubble started. And he said he liked the Nets to get to the second round he of did. the playoffs. Yes. He'd like them to advance because he's like, teams won't take them seriously. And everybody laughed and everybody joked and everybody made fun of them because they're like, yo, Shaq, do you see the roster? There's nobody on there that 90% of the population, the NBA population has ever heard of. There's no shot in hell this team's going to do well in the bubble. But I'm not saying they're going to beat the Toronto Raptors, but maybe there is a hint of nobody takes them seriously and this team right now is feeling confident they're feeling good and they're just going out there and they're taking it taking it to teams joe harris said after the celtics game where they got absolutely just bombed destroyed that yeah. they didn't they didn't come out prepared and they didn't come out with the energy and it showed and that was the one game i mean yeah I had the magic game as well but that was the game really where it was like ugh, like ugh, i don't well, like what is out there yeah, that, that it was weird because, remember, the Boston game is the day after the Milwaukee game. And so I think we all surmised that the strategy behind sitting Levert and sitting Allen and sitting Harris was they looked at the Boston game as a more winnable game. So let's just punt it against Milwaukee. Let's keep the guys fresh and let's go after the Celtics. And it's just funny how sports work sometimes that they could actually win the Milwaukee game with nobody and not just lose the Boston game. Because I don't think we were necessarily expecting the Nets to beat the Celtics, even with Levert, Harris, and Allen playing. But they were non-competitive. I mean, that was uh-huh. the thing. And they ended up losing the game by 34 points, and it didn't even feel like it was that close. It was weird. You know, it was just weird, and I don't know why or how they could come out that unprepared, um, especially when you got a head coach who's battling for his life uh, as a head coach in the league, and you've got half the roster of guys battling for their NBA careers, and you're coming off a win like that. So it was sort of not surprising that they lost, but... It was surprising how awful they were, and I think we we just kind of assumed, all right, well, that's the reality. <laughs> that's that's what we really expected going in, but it was a little disheartening, especially because that was a nationally televised game, too. I think Breen and Van Gundy were doing that game. Yeah, right? That's the one you want to, like, showcase how good you are. Show your team. Not that, you know, we're going into here with these different expectations not like Kevin Durant's on the floor and you want to show him off and show how great he is but yeah you're coming off that big win versus the Bucks it would have been nicer would have been nice if there was a good showing versus the Boston Celtics obviously it 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 did not happen there but curious Evan what what your thoughts are on uh Chris Chioza because he's been like I even before this bubble started and when the season was wrapping up the the first part of it I was just like enamored with this guy. And it felt like for the first time they had another guard on the roster that you felt comfortable with when he was in the game that could make right decisions. And I'm not saying he's been perfect. He's turned the ball over a lot. He's missed a lot of three-point shots. But there is a nice comfort level with him in the game that I don't think we've had in the past with another backup-type point guard. Maybe a little bit last year, and I'm spacing out on the name. But um, 
the guy Shabazz now that's on Napier. Washington was Shabazz Napier, but it Shabazz finally feels Napier, like we've yeah. we've got like like uh, like that depth again at the point guard position. He, I was intrigued by him because, and you you just said it right before the shutdown, he was playing really well. You know, he had a good game against San Antonio, that blowout victory. He played well in that game. He contributed in the Laker game, but it was really you know a three or four game sample size. So it was nice and it was impressive and it was certainly on our minds. But it was very, very brief. So mm. I looked at him and said, I wonder if he could build off this. I wonder if this was just a fluke. And he really has built off it. I thought in a lot of ways he was one of the more valuable pieces in the Milwaukee win. I know he didn't shoot the basketball really well, but he was a playmaker. Uh, he showed great court vision in that game. Overall, the Nets didn't turn the ball over a lot, especially early. So I think the Milwaukee game, even if statistically that isn't maybe the most impressive one. I thought he showed a lot in that game. He played well in the Wizards game, too. And then even the Sacramento game, you know, which was a relatively close game early on, and the Nets kind of stepped on their throats and ended up pummeling them. And he played really well in that game. And he is he looks like a very helpful piece. You know, once this team is, is at a hole, you know, in this perfect world where guys are healthy, assuming there aren't any kind of major trades, I can't yeah. see him playing that many minutes. But you know what? Over the course of an 82-game season, especially when one of your star players can never stay healthy, I'm not Mm -hmm. naming any names, (laughs) the value of a guy like Chioza is certainly going to be there. And I would not just brush over the fact that Kevin Durant actually knows who he is and made a comment about how impressive he's been. But I think Chioza's been really good. Tyler Johnson's making me think, you know, especially what he did in the game against the Clippers where – he put up 21 and was hitting threes from all over. Yeah. I'm not convinced he's going to be on the team in the future, but, I mean, Tyler Johnson's come out, and you know, he's, for the most part, shot the basketball well, especially the last couple of games. But Chioza, I think, is going to be on this roster next year. Yeah, I would have to agree with that. And I think your point about Kevin Durant knowing who he is is a valuable one. He did make that comment that he said something along the lines of he just feels like he belongs, and that's kind of like – no, I, Kevin Durant knows a lot more about basketball and understands what goes on on the court way, way more than I ever will. But I got that same sense. Like when Chios is out there, he has an idea yes. of how to run the offense. You feel like there's a real point guard out there. And then speaking about point guards, the switch of putting Karras at the one oh, and letting him dis- distribute the ball – it's it's like it's got my head racing about next year when Karras and Kyrie, if Karras is on the team and they don't make trades, who the hell knows? But like how the Nets will figure out what they do with two ball handlers because it's clearly made a huge difference for the Nets' offense and for Karras Levert personally. Well, I love having multiple playmakers on the floor at the same time, and I think that's when the Nets were most effective in their postseason series against Philadelphia. I know there wasn't much; yeah. they only won one game. But I like having two, three guys on the court who can do that. I think Jacques Vaughn's best move so far the bubble was making that change in the starting lineup. Going mm. with the veteran Garrett Temple, who played very well in the Clipper game. He played very well in the Clipper game and the Buck game. Remember, he hit that big shot, the mid-range jump shot, that really yep. finished the Bucks off. Mm-hmm. But going Levert, Temple, Harris, Rodions, and Jared Allen. We haven't mentioned Rodions yet. I think that's been a very good strategic move. He kind of cut the rotation down in the game against the Clippers. And I, I got to tell you, the Milwaukee game was fun. It was crazy. We were all stunned. To me, the Clipper game blows it away because, A, you went mono e mono with Kawhi Leonard for 37 minutes. I mean, Kawhi played big freaking minutes in this game. Yeah. And I know there's no Montrez Harrell, there's no Paul George. I, I get that. That's that's fine, whatever. One of the best players in the NBA, a top five guy in this league, I think we'd all agree with that, played 37 minutes and tried to take over the game. And did effectively. I mean, you mentioned it. Goes on an 11-0 run, and I think we both assume, all right, that was, that was nice. They is. had a 21-point lead. It lasted for a few minutes. That was cool. To respond to that the way they did, Tyler Johnson hitting so many big shots. I I don't know. And, and, you know, even getting out of foul trouble, because remember, Joe Harris ended up fouling out of that game. He got into foul trouble. Timothy Luabo Cabarro, who we haven't mentioned, he was so big in that Milwaukee game. Now he's yep. kind of serving as more of a bench piece. He fouls out in the Clipper game. That Clipper game, man, 
that was the game where I think I was even texting you saying, holy crap, I'm really starting to believe. I wasn't believing after the Buck game. The Buck game was <laughs> fun. It was crazy. But I actually, and I'm still on that high. You can hear it in my voice. That Clipper game really made me say, holy crap. They, they beat the Clippers wire to wire, bro. And the more you get wins like this and the more it goes on, you get the Clipper win, you get the Buck win, you get the, the Kings win, and you get all that we've seen from Karis LeVert and how well he's played. I mean, you start to get excited about the playoffs coming here against Toronto. I don't care. Like, And, I, and I've mentioned this to you in the past, and I think this is a really big deal. I think the fact that this no home court thing is just changing everything and yes. the combination of the fact of there's no longer going on the road, guys getting experience. Like, that, all that stuff doesn't matter. Like, that's why, to me, I think the Phoenix Suns are excelling. No longer are they having to worry about being a young team dealing with the day-in, day-out grind of the NBA. They're just going out there and playing, and Devin Booker's playing out of his mind and exceeding expectations. And I think there's a little something to that. Like, I think this situation has just been perfect for a guy like Karis LeVert. And he's just, we saw what he was doing at the very end of the first part of the regular season. He had the 50-point game against the Celtics, and he was really becoming a star for this team. And he just seems so comfortable and relaxed. And I really, really believe that this bubble atmosphere is just going to play such a role in such a chaotic situation for everything. And I, I, that's why I even said beforehand, like when the Nets had their full deck or whatever that, you know, minus Kyrie, but when they had the idea of Spencer and DeAndre and, and, and Prince, like they crazy stuff's going to happen. Like the Lakers look like garbage. They don't look good. The Denver Nuggets all of a sudden look like this unbeatable team. The Blazers are are terrifying as an eight potential eight seed. Like this thing is all whacked out and it's, and you know, it's it's fun to even just pretend for a little bit that maybe the Nets have a chance. It like feels good. Yeah. Yeah, and, and look, there's a there's still a very good chance we're going to feel like complete schmucks and they can be non-competitive against the Raptors and end up getting swept by a team that we all admit is far better. But uh, I, I think that watching the way they've played, specifically the Clipper game, but even into a smaller degree, the Sacramento game, and stamping on them, stomping on them the way they did, you know, it gives you this hope. And I think you make a very good point about how the team that's the big underdog, it's been cut a little bit down because of the lack of home court. Home court's a big deal in the NBA, and the Mm -hmm. Toronto Raptors are one of those teams that can take advantage of it. They have a great home court. I've experienced it. I went up there for Game 7, even though the the Raptors actually lost that Game 7, but I went up there in 2014, and it's a loud building, and it can be an intimidating building, especially young players, especially for a guy like Chris Chioza, who's playing big minutes, or even if you stick Jeremiah Martin out there, who's actually a pest defensively, that can be a very intimidating place. Jared Allen, who only has five postseason games of experience, getting bitched down around by Joel Embiid last year. Mm. So you're right that taking away that home court, maybe by just a little bit, kind of cuts away at... The, the, I, I guess the invincibility of a favorite. The Raptors are still a matchup nightmare. I would still much rather play them than Milwaukee. I know the Bucks have struggled in the bubble, but I think the difference is, and I think the reason why you take your shot with Toronto is because while Pascal Siakam is borderline star, maybe a star, if you want to call him that, Kyle Lowry has put together a tremendous NBA career. They don't have a superstar. They don't have one. Not yet. I don't think Pascal Siakam is a superstar. No. He's a star. No doubt about it. Fred Van Vliet's become a very, very good player. They have a lot of very, very good players. I'm not knocking mm-hmm. the Raptors. I mean, they have a chance, and you've been on it well before I was. They have a chance to come out of the East. I'll give them that. But I think you'd rather take your risk with a team with, that doesn't feature a superstar. And the Bucks feature a superstar. And that's why you take your, you take your chances with the Raptors. Yeah, you'd have to if you had to pick between the two. Uh, I know they have the win against Milwaukee. <laughs> You're like, oh yeah, we can we can take on the Bucks, but it's no. it's the Raptors. It's, it's the Raptors as a team that that you're gonna see. And man, it'll be it'll be fascinating to see how they do. And I just for the I mean for the first time in a long time with just sports in general, like I just 
I know that the Nets are going to be in a playoff game, and I know it's not going to be the same, and it won't be Kevin Durant there, or it won't be last year where it was was such a magical ride and it came out of nowhere, and like clinching a playoff spot this year was certainly a lot different than last year when the team went into Indiana and got that great win and clinched a playoff spot. This was a little different. But it's for the first time you're like, you know what? The Nets are playing well. They've got playoff games. Who the hell knows? At least you have something that you can like look forward to, which is <laughs> such a good feeling, just considering everything was sports in the last three to four months. Oh, yeah. And you, you talk yourself into thinking they could pull it off. I'll say one thing about the raptor Buck debate, if you will, that would lean you. And I still say I'd rather take my shot with the Raptors. But one of the reasons why maybe taking on the Bucks uh, has a positive, if they ever got there, which they didn't, is the Bucks' ability to defend the three. It seems like that's one of the big kind of ways to knock off Milwaukee, is that they are not great defending the three. The Raptors are. I mean, the Raptors are the best team in the league at defending the three. And I think for the Nets to pull off any kind of upset, it's kind of what they did against the Clippers the other night, is they got to hit a ton of threes. I mean, they've got to yeah. hit them at a... It's almost like college basketball in the NCAAs. You just have to... You got to come out hot. Now, it's going to be difficult to do it against the Toronto team, but I think that's part of how you pull off such a great upset. I mean, look what they did against the Clippers. They missed three shots in the first quarter of the game. You know, Joe Harris and Tyler Johnson couldn't miss from the outside. So I, I'm not sitting here telling you they're going to beat the Raptors. I'm not. I don't have enough <laughs> guts to say it. But I think the difference is because they've won four games in the bubble, because they've beaten the Clippers, they've beaten the Box, and they do have wins against the Kings and Wizards. I think it feels a little bit less hopeless than it was before we went in. There, there's a glimmer of hope yeah. that you can see something competitive uh, or maybe even something crazy than I think we both thought going into the bubble. Now, refresh my memory because I don't remember. I know we did one of these Nets preview podcasts earlier, yes. but that I believe was before we knew about like, and I'm talking about like the bubble preview. That was before we knew Spencer was opting out, DeAndre, and I, I don't remember exactly all the pieces that were in and out, but I remember us having the conversation, like, if they played Toronto, you know, what were our expectations for this team? And that was with, you know, a bunch of other guys that we expected to be on this roster, and we felt like they would play Toronto and maybe lose in five, six, possibly. Right. So I'm just, it's just, it's just kind of stunning that we're in that kind of place and we got there but we did it with like a couple of guys that you know weren't even on the roster like it would be fun to play a game and it would be very it would probably be very difficult like can you name all of the 2019 2020 nets i mean if you were to go back to the beginning of the season and to where they are now you know like michael beasley jamal crawford who played for <laughs> half a minute right, i mean right. like the the guys that are on this roster it's just it's it's nuts yeah. Well, when we did the podcast going into the bubble, you know, when we knew what the rosters were, I think I predicted one in seven and then a sweep at the hands of the Bucks. And I think okay. you were the more optimistic one. I think you said they'd win three games or maybe if you said four games. I don't even remember. <laughs> yeah, right. And that they'd win a game in the postseason. So I don't know what the playoffs are going to hold, but we were definitely very, very wrong about how they would perform in this bubble. That's for sure. Now, yeah. We haven't addressed this yet, and we should. And I think most of this podcast has been about what this team has accomplished in the bubble and what they can accomplish next in this Orlando bubble. Not that much about next year, even though we know next year is where the expectations are raised. This head coach, he's done a great job. I don't think there's any question that what they've accomplished, even if they lose the the, the, the regular season games don't matter anymore because they've already clinched a seventh yeah. seed. So. Whatever they do against the Magic and the Trailblazers, it doesn't mean anything. No matter what they do, though, even in the postseason, I think we would say, wow, they won four games in the bubble. That's greater than we expected. Does this change your view on Jacques Vaughn? Would you hire him? Would you give him the job? And not only, I'll just say this real quick, did they win four games in the bubble? They did it in six games where they got to the point where they can rest their guys in the last two. It's like an NFL team, you know, clinching the division, and they're like, oh, we're going to put our quarterback out there for the last couple of games. It doesn't matter. So they got the four wins quick. They did it in six. Yeah. Um, as far as Jacques, I, I, 
I say yes. I mean, I know I'm like kind of in the moment, and that can change things, and you, your opinion can drastically um, change based on what happens. And of course, we know that Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving are going to try to make the best hire they can. But what I've seen from this team, it's hard to not want Jacques Vaughn to be the head coach. And I think that he's really done a great job and learned from his experience in Orlando when he was there. And that didn't work out for him. And he's been with this organization for a couple of years now as the assistant coach. I have a real confidence level in Jacques Vaughn. And I feel good about him as the head coach. I right now would say sign me up for him. Unless, of course, there's the P word. Popovich but outside of him I'm like you know what this team is playing hard they're playing well they seem to really respect coach Vaughn Garrett Temple's had some high praise for him and he's a guy that's been around with a lot of different coach a lot of different teams players and coaches I feel very good about him so here's the problem okay I, I think Jacques has done an outstanding job uh, some of the moves he's made in the bubble, we talked about the lineup changes, even the rotation, uh, moving away from you're not allowed to shoot any mid-range jump shots, the way he used Jared Allen. If I'm grading what he's done so far in the bubble, it's tough not to give him an A. Okay, there's no doubt about that. But here is the issue. None of this has anything to do with coaching two superstars. And we know that's what the job is about, because if this job was about overachieving, if this job was about making the most out of players and developing players, why is Kenny Atkinson not here? That's that's the this is the this is the problem. This is the contradiction. And I want to be consistent about this. Kenny Atkinson did a very good job coaching the Brooklyn Nets. Didn't always agree with him, but you can't argue with the results considering the roster he had. That's exactly what we're saying right now about Jacques Vaughn. And we both know it's all about getting the most out of Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. That is the number one job you have when you're the head coach of that team. Obviously, there's other things that are important. The strategy behind it, the rotations behind it, the way you run your offense. I'm not saying that stuff doesn't matter, but the priority are the superstars. So what has been accomplished in the bubble, is great. It's fantastic. I don't know if it moves the needle in terms of being the head coach mm. of this team. Am I wrong? No, you make good points. Uh, you make points that were better than mine. I'm not going to lie. That was very convincing. Stop that was it. good. No, it was. But it's, But it's. you know, I guess it falls back to the idea that it's just disappointing because I think Vaughn's earned the right to coach this team. Did Kenny earn the right to coach the team? he's shown in this bubble. Like, to me... That's enough to say, you know what, take over the reins. Like, the Toronto Raptors had Dwayne Casey as their head coach, and they had a lot more success than the Nets did. Dwayne Casey was the coach of the year. But they made a move, and they went to Nick Nurse. And when they did it at the time, it was like, who? the Nick, the, This guy, the G League coach, Nick Nurse? Like, that's going to be the difference for Toronto? Now, the biggest difference, of course, was getting Kawhi Leonard. It all came together for Toronto. But this year especially, look at what Toronto's done when they've lost Kawhi Leonard. So, I... I I use that as an example to see how Vaughn has done with this team to know that you can be the assistant, step in, maybe it wasn't your squad, and turn it around. But you're right. I mean, you're absolutely right. If if Kevin Durant's like, no, um, you know, this guy doesn't know how to relate to me as a star and know how to, you know, uh, massage my ego, then what does it matter? But that's just, I guess that's... I guess that's disappointing because I've just been so enamored and just so much in love with what Coach Vaughn's done in the past 10 days. Just just ask yourself this, and I want every Net fan to do this listening right now. Anytime you come up with a reason why Jacques Vaughn should be the head coach, ask yourself, did Kenny Atkinson have those reasons too? And if the answer is yes, then you run into the same situation that you, Sean Marks, and we've all been in over the last few months. If your reasoning is, hey, he's overachieved with these guys. Hey, he's got these guys playing hard. Kenny did all of that. And and this is not an argument for Kenny Atkinson. This is an argument that the search for the head coach of this team is not really related to what we're seeing now inside the bubble. Now, if you're telling me Kevin Durant is watching and Kevin Durant's on the phone every day with Jacques Vaughn, none of mm-hmm. which I think is happening. I'm not even convinced these guys he's even watching these games. He never even tweets about it. I mean, honestly, you 
You think Kevin Durant's watching any of these games in the bubble? Uh, I think he's probably watching, like, you know, Clippers Lakers. Well, there you <laughs> I go. I think that's what he's watching. <laughs> <You know? laughs> he's watching other teams. Yeah, right. I, <laughs> I, I haven't seen, maybe I'm wrong about this. I saw him tweeting the other day at a guy who claimed that Kevin was hitting on his girlfriend via likes yeah. on Instagram. Yeah, I saw that. I, I saw that. I didn't see Kevin make a, a damn comment about the win against the Clippers. Did you? No, I don't okay. think I saw anything. I, I know he's got, I think Durant's rolling out like a podcast network too. Okay, great. Apparently. He's rolling out, but that, that he can do whatever he wants. That's fine. I'm just making an observation. I haven't seen him comment about the, the Nets winning four games in the bubble, so I doubt he's on there FaceTiming with Jacques Vaughn or giving advice to Tyler Johnson via the phone. And no. whether it's fair or not, that's the key to being the head coach of this team in the future. And that's unlocking and getting the most out of Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. So, again, all the platitudes to Jacques Vaughn. He's done a great job. I hope we get him on the air so I can tell him he's done a great job. And mm. shock the world, baby. Go go win an NBA championship. That would be awkward. <laughs> Kevin Durant having to watch that batter up there. But jokes aside, this is what the job's about. The job is about these guys. And I, that's the that's why every time I see a tweet or a comment, oh, did Jock Vaughn get the job? Wrap him up now. What does it have to do with the whole thing we talked about months ago about what it takes to be the head coach of this team? So, look, he may get the job a second. I'm not saying yeah. he's not getting the job. Yeah. He could yeah, get yeah. the job. I don't know what's going to happen. But it has everything to do with those relationships, not how he's performing inside the bubble. Well, Kyrie has a little bit of experience with Jacques in the sense that he was still there when Kenny was there. He was the assistant coach, and I don't know how many games that Kyrie Irving ended up playing this season, but he was in the practices with him. He was in those huddles with him. So he has to have some sort of sense for what Jacques Vaughn is like. You know, I know I know Kevin Durant's. I don't, I don't think he's watching Jacques Vaughn YouTube videos to get a sense if he likes him or not like he did Kenny. So I don't know his feelings on him, but I hope that maybe there was a little sense from Kyrie just knowing it. And, that, you know, again, this is just a small sample size. It's six games with Jacques Vaughn. I don't want to get too crazy with everything, but I but I am kind of curious what what Kyrie and Vaughn thought of Vaughn and what Vaughn thought of Kyrie from that small sample that they were together when he was the assistant coach to Kenny Atkinson. Are you afraid that the emergence of Levert and Allen is going to lead to Sean Marks trying to make a deal for a third star? Yes. Big time. Bradley Beal? Yeah, Bradley Beal. I don't... I don't... I mean, if you're doing like... I love Karras, but if someone said we're doing Karras for Beal straight up, okay. I get it. But the idea of just shipping all of these assets and these other guys around them to... Washington to get a third star when your other two stars have played a combined zero games together is a little frightening. Yeah, it's it's a terrible idea, and it's not a knock on Bradley Beal. Uh, it has nothing to do with Bradley Beal. I get this is a star game. We know that, that you need superstars to win in this league. The Nets have two of them, or at least they have one of them in Kevin Durant. Kyrie Irving is a superstar when he's healthy. The guy's never healthy. You know, Kevin is coming off a major injury. I can give him the benefit of the doubt that, for the most part, in his career, he's been a healthy basketball player. Kyrie Irving hasn't been. And so dealing depth to get a third star seems to be a really, really risky proposition when I think you've got to focus on, hey, can we win a championship if Kyrie isn't there? I know that that may sound crazy, but my point of saying that is if I give up all my depth, where am I left? What am I left with if there's an injury to Kyrie Irving? Now, hypothetically, if you can add a piece here or there, and really what they need are bigs and they need guys that can defend. They need more size on this team moving forward. Now, I'm saying that with Durant in the mix and Jordan in the mix, all those guys in the mix. If you add those pieces, and I don't know how realistic a guy like Serge Baca is, but hypothetically him. Can you win? Can you succeed? Can you compete for a championship if Kyrie Irving is out with another knee injury? And my answer is, yeah, I think you can. No, I think you can. I think if Karis LeVert continues 
with what we've seen from him and Spencer Dinwiddie's out there and Kevin Durant's out there and whatever big you've just added is out there and Joe Harris is out there, yeah, why the hell not? So and dealing it, all of that for a superstar, it just it, it's too risky for me. And and if Karis Levert's this version of him, is it that much of an upgrade to get Bradley Beal? Now, I'm not watching every Washington Wizards game, and I know Bradley Beal is like a a perennial all-star. He's a third-team type NBA kind of player where he's on that fringe between like the 15th to 22nd best player in the league, and Karras is nowhere near there quite yet. But if Karras is playing like this and he's developing at this rate, and again, if he's healthy, like it's a no-brainer to me to take this version of Karras Levert, whoever the other two players that are going to have to go in a trade, for Bradley Beal, like that's a losing trade. It's not not even even if Kyrie Irving stays healthy and you get Beal, Irving, and Durant, I think it's a losing trade because you're losing a guy that's maybe just a step below Beal and a couple of guys surrounding him. And I, I think we've seen like in the NBA, there's not there's not many teams that have a third star anymore. It's a two star league. Give me the two stars and the depth and just hope they're healthy. That's hey. how they're gonna win a title. And you got to defend to win an NBA championship. You, you've got to defend. And that is not improving your defense in any way. And that's going to be the thing Sean Marks, to me, needs to focus on. It, it's, it's a weird build this team has had in terms of the little engine that could last year to signing two superstars, one of which you knew was never going to play. The other superstar barely played. And, like, you're building with this eye on these guys contributing and – Kevin Durant's played zero games for this team. It's just a weird, weird way to get to your championship roster. And it's tough for Sean Marks because <laughs> yeah. one of the things I said to you about why I wanted Kevin to play in the bubble if he could physically was just to see him play with these guys, just to get that experience just so we, we could see it. Not, not just to win, but just to have an idea of what this whole thing is going to look like. So I don't know what other third star. I mean, I've said to you personally, Rudy Gobert is kind of different. I'd be very, very intrigued by bringing him in because of what I just said about defense and how important it is to win. And so would I be willing to give up my depth in a trade for Rudy Gobert? I'd say I'm, I'm more intrigued by it. That'd be the way I'd look at it. I'd be much more intrigued by that idea than trading for another scorer. But I kind of lean on the add some pieces, specifically size and guys that can defend and let's go from there more than breaking it apart for a star. And next season's going to be just so so strange with are they playing in a bubble again? Are they playing <laughs> in front of empty crowds? What are they going to do moving forward? You know, like here's the big and it's disappointing too because if it's like the big Kevin Durant debut and it's just him in a bubble with no fans like <laughs> It is what it is. I mean, you know, I'm just thankful to have basketball, but it would have been really cool if it was Kevin Durant at the Barclays Center and people yelling and going crazy and he's putting up 35 and, you know, those annoying Nick fans have to leave the Barclays Center arena early because they know they're down 22, but, <laughs> you know, you're just not going to get that. Yeah. I, I don't think so, at least. You know what? Look, I, I, I don't know how this global pandemic is going to end. Hopefully it ends soon. I don't know what sports is going to look like next year. All I could tell you is watching the games in the bubble. It's yeah. it's fine. Like, does it? Do I miss it? I mean, I'm a season ticket holder. Of course, I miss being in the arena. I miss taking you to the arena. I miss that yeah. loud, obnoxious sound of the PA system being way too loud in Brooklyn. But <laughs> it's basketball. Yeah. You know, you still get that. And that was the thing I was unsure of going into this. Like, am I still going to get that stomach ache when it's a close game late? Am I still going to be pumped up after a win? And the answer emphatically has been yes. And yeah. if they had a full roster, let's say Kevin Durant had decided to play in the bubble, based on how I feel watching these games, not just net games, but non-net games, it would be totally legit. Like, I would be... Yeah, there's disappointment I'm not there. There's disappointment we're all not there. And sure, you don't get that that loud crowd taking over an arena. But who knows, with the virtual fans, maybe they'll improve that as it goes on, where you <laughs> will hear the sound. But it feels real. And I I just try not to worry about what next year is going to look like, as long as it's happening. You know? Yeah. I, forget. I, I think it would actually uh. be worse, though, bro, if they if they brought everyone back to NBA arenas, and at that point, we're, we're sort yeah. of past the virus, and they let 20% inside the building. 
Like that'd be worse. Mm. Imagine going to imagine listening to a basketball game at Barclays Center and there's five thousand people and they're all sparsely set up. It'll be like we're oh, watching that... a game from East Rutherford. I know. I was gonna I was gonna say that sounds like a Nets game in New Jersey <laughs> and Dwayne Shinches is at center. That's what that reminds me of. Right. Yeah. Oh man. No, I know. Well, I mean it's it's I will um I will say I have to agree with you. I, I've I've found and I don't watch hockey, so I can't make that comparison. I've watched it a little, but I'm not watching, you know, um two and a half hours of hockey. I will say to me, like the basketball be uh, beyond the baseball has felt the best to me in watching and getting into it and feeling the same and I've I love like, you know, I know tomorrow's Nets games at what, one one thirty versus Orlando. I know the Nets aren't playing anybody again and the game doesn't matter, but it is kinda cool, like Nets Magic, one o'clock on a Tuesday. It's there for you. I love that. Yeah. No, it's been fun. I'm I'm curious what the playoff times are gonna look like. There may be some yeah. afternoon playoff games during the week. That's right. <laughs> and I think the the playoffs start Monday, right? Yes. Does that sound right? The seventeenth? Yes. yes. They start on Monday the seventeenth. Um what's your prediction? I mean, I don't think there's anything barring an injury in the Portland game that would really change the way we view this team. They could lose the next two games. They don't matter. It's really playing out the string. Uh, What's your prediction for the Toronto series? I think they take the Raptors to six, and then Toronto wins. I think, really, every series that you're going to see is going to go six games or more. I think all these games are going to be back and forth seesaw action like team one games one game two game three game four i don't think that's just a nets raptors thing i think that's all of the nba we're gonna see um i think the nets are gonna get some wins here i think they've proven that they can beat legit nba teams teams that have championship or bus aspirations so i have no reason not to believe that this current roster with what i have seen is going to be able to take two games from toronto but not good enough to win the series although that would be incredible if they if they like beat the raptors holy crap oh my god Imagine, imagine sitting there getting ready for a game six, you know, down three, two, thinking, ah, we're one win away from forcing a game seven. <laughs> I had a, I had a caller to our show who said, Hey, I feel good about the Nets. They've played the Raptors twice in the playoffs and they've beaten them both times. Oh God. <laughs> and both times the Nets were the underdogs. Uh, if you remember That's back right. in 2007, their last run of the Jason Kidd era. That's right. Uh, if memory serves correct, they were the they won forty one games that year. They were the six seed that year. Chris Bosch and the Raptors were the three seed. Uh, they jumped out to a three games to one lead, almost one game five in Toronto. Bulky Knockbar missed a pretty good look from the corner, and then they won game six. Richard Jefferson made some big plays down the stretch. We all remember what happened in twenty fourteen when they came back from three two down. Won game six in Brooklyn and then won that heart-stomping game up in Toronto where they almost blew it in the final oh. minute. Oh, God. that game. And I drove up there, bro. Can you imagine that <laughs> drive back if they had lost that game? No, that sounds miserable. Oh, what was that 10? How, how many hours is that? It was about, yeah, nine and change or so. It was yeah. fun, though. It was fun. My dad made the trip with me. If I knew nice. you back then, Biseglia, you would have done it. Am I right? <laughs> I absolutely would have done it. Hell yeah. <laughs> the, the craziest part about that trip, or the game, not really the trip, and it's not my parking ticket that still haven't paid, is that I'm in this arena. Everybody is dressed in Raptor red. And then me and my dad are sitting there wearing black, you know, for the Brooklyn Nets. And we just stick out because, every, like, literally... Every single human being in that building is wearing red. And the two of us are wearing black. And when I think it was Kyle Lowry had his shot blocked at the end. But Pierce. You know, you could hear by Paul Pierce, you could hear a pin drop. And I'm on the ground, pounding the ground. Yes! 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 And I think my dad thought we were going to get our ass kicked. But they all congratulated us. They're like, hey, that's a great series. Congratulations, guy. Like, oh, thanks. Very cool. <laughs> um, oh, I didn't get my prediction. Yeah, what's yours? I, I, get, I get giddy. I get excited. And then when push comes to shove, I show no balls. <laughs> I'm going to say the Nets win a game, kind of like the Philly series. And I think it'll be early in the series, so we'll get really excited, maybe game one or two. I think one of the first two games they're going to win, we're going to get giddy. And like I think they'll compete. 
I think that's the difference. I, I think when, when I made this prediction or we made the predictions a couple of weeks ago, I thought they'd just get killed in every game. You know, maybe there'd be one game that's close. I think the difference is I actually think they're going to be in a lot of these games. Mm. But, you know, you look at the Raptors' experience, especially from last year, and a guy like Kyle Lowry, who's, you know, he's really put together a hell of an NBA career when you think about it. I, I just think they'll out-execute him down the stretch. They have the best coach in the league right now in Nick Nurse, or at least one of the best coaches in the league. I shouldn't say the best. Greg Popovich is pretty good. Eric Spolster is pretty good. But one of the better coaches in the league. They have a lot, a lot of size that can just give the Nets fits. So I'm going to say we're going to lose in five. But I hope I'm wrong. I hope we beat them in seven. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be interested to see what happens in the playoffs. You know, like when... For example, the Nets won game one in Philly last year, and then it's like they kind of let their guard down in the second half in Philly, and the series mm-hmm. went 1 1. And we always hear that stupid cliche thing like, oh, a series doesn't start until the road team wins. I'm like, no, right. a series starts when game one starts. It's first to four. I hate that. But I'm just curious what's going to happen with like the ebb and flow of teams they like. Normally, if you went up 2 nothing, you went to Game 3, you kind of let off the gas a little bit, and you lose. I'll be curious what happens without home court about how the energy and the vibe is back and forth with these teams. And I guess we'll just, well, we'll just learn that once we see these games. Yeah, and I, I think the other thing is, you know, we've seen some teams, you know, Phoenix has been the story of the bubble. We're up there with the way the Nets have played. The Bucks have not played well. The Lakers have not played well. No. And, you could understand it considering the Bucks and Lakers aren't playing for anything. They're clearly going to be the one seeds in each conference. But can you flip a switch when the switch has been off for four months? Mm-hmm. And that's what I'm really, really intrigued by. I've been steadfast that I think Milwaukee's coming out of the East. Am I starting to get a little bit, I wouldn't say worried, because if they don't come out of the East, they ain't going to kill me. But... I don't know. I think there's a lot of unknown to this. But when you look at Milwaukee and L.A. and the way they've played, yeah, it doesn't matter, but that switch needs to be flipped. Now, the good news for Milwaukee is they're going to get a beat-up Magic team in the first round, so even if the switch isn't completely flipped, they shouldn't have too much of a problem. The Lakers may be different. If the Lakers are matched up with the Trailblazers in the first round, or dare I say the red-hot, you-can't-stop-them Phoenix Suns, even with DeAndre Ayton missing uh, coronavirus tests and missing games... You never know. But we'll see. I, I'm, I'm very, very excited about this. This should be a lot of fun. Um, and then when it's over, for us, we get to start dreaming about Kevin Durant again. Isn't that exciting? Yeah. And it's also kind of cool. Be, the offseason will be like six weeks or something. I mean, we'll be like, <laughs> we'll where? S- we'll see. I'm not I'm not sold yet. The season's going to start in December, but yeah. we'll find out. Biseglia, great job as always. We'll probably do another one of these podcasts. I'm sure I'll do some instant reactions as the series is going on, and we'll definitely do one after the bubble bursts, whenever that is. Sometime in uh, October in the NBA Finals. Sounds good. All right, bro. Thank you. Mike Paseglia, this has been a Brooklyn Nets bubble edition of the Evan Roberts Podcast.